Okay, turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 134, and we are going to continue in our series. We've been talking about uh, David's vow that he made in Psalm 132, and then Psalm 132, 133, and 134, they go together, and so we've just been uh, preaching along those lines. Last week, we talked about the anointing of unity, and uh, that message will be up on the website shortly. I want to encourage you to listen to it if you didn't get a chance wasn't a kumbaya message. It was a, it was a butt kicker. Amen. Yes, it was. <laughs> and it was, I was instructing myself, but it's just that there's such a, a weight in the word on uh, unity and on the fellowship that's necessary in love for the move of the Spirit to happen. And we can't just imagine that we can be divided and then also expect the move of the Holy Spirit. Those things don't, they're, 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 uh, they're interlinked. You have to be in unity and in love. And then the Holy Spirit, the Lord releases a blessing in that place. He declares it in Psalm 133. And so we, we talked through that in, in detail last week. And I was convicted, I think, as, as many of us were. And then tonight, we're going to go ahead and finalize sort of the package of 132, 133, 134... And we're going to talk about the night watch. And uh, it's interesting because Psalm 134 is completely dedicated to those who stand by night and worship and pray to the Lord in the night watches. And uh, it's the only chapter in the scripture that's fully dedicated to the night watch. Of course, it's, the night watch is mentioned throughout the scripture multiple places. But uh, it's critical that we get understanding of the night watch, especially in a community like ours, because we actually have a portion of our community that stays awake throughout the night. They sleep during the day. They stay awake throughout the night to see to it that worship and prayer never stops from this house. Now, just think that through for a minute. We've got a group who when you and I are waking up, they're going to bed. And when we're going to bed, they're normally, they've been awake for a few hours. But when we're going to bed, they're heading over here, and they're spending uh, from midnight to 6 a.m. in this room to make sure that the fire of worship and prayer, it never goes out. And so in the hours that most of the crime, debauchery, Horrible things that are happening, that happen throughout, you know, the earth and in the city. During those hours, we have a people who have dedicated themselves to seeking the Lord and worship and prayer at that time. Now, that happens every single night. Tonight, tomorrow, on Christmas, on New Year's, on President's Day, on Monday. Name the day. It's happened for eight years coming up in February, for eight years now. They've stood in the night without a break. Now, we've had so many different people who have helped to serve in that capacity as, as uh, ministers before the Lord. And, and they all, uh, the, the key crew, they raise their support as missionaries. And that's the, the first work of ministries to the heart of the Lord. And they do all sorts of other things. And uh, all sorts of other ministry endeavors, but it's the, the first and foremost ministry they have is to the heart of the Lord in the night watches. And so it's critical for our whole community to understand this, that we actually have a portion of our community who has given their life to being uh, awake and in prayer in these night watches. And so I want to bring us all together and get a, a perspective. There's, there's really three reasons for this message. The first is that we would all get the biblical perspective on the night watch. Uh, secondly, that we as a house would properly value the night watch. And then, I'm sneaky, so thirdly, I'm going to call people to the night watch. Hallelujah. I'm just believing the Lord to uh, surprise a few people. He just, just be ready. He may surprise you right now. You might be going, there's no way I'm not a night watcher. You never know. I was the guy that said, I'm not a house of prayer guy. But here you have it. And so you just never know. So just be open and allow the Lord to speak to you. 
Now, I will say this. Some of you immediately go, well, man, I'm a, I'm a night owl anyway. Maybe I am a night watcher. Night owls usually make the worst night watchers. Because the night owl is the party animal. But the night watcher is focused in abandonment and discipline to the Lord. And so the guy that's like, I'm just up all night, and I'm just going to come and be a night watcher, and yeah, I mean, that dude usually has a really hard time. Because it takes such a focus and abandonment and discipline and grace from the Lord to stand in the night watches. And we have folks in our community that have uh, spent like five years living this way. We have families that are raising their children in this way. Now just think this through for a minute. Where they're, they all go to bed around, you know, 6 or 7 a.m. in the morning, sleep till the afternoon, get up in the evening with the children, and then they're awake through the night watches. Taking naps as, normal, as children normally would, but they actually are raising their children this way. Yes, they're getting the proper amount of vitamin D, just, yes, they are. We're see, we see to it that they're not doing things that are, you know, unhealthy, but we have a group, and no, they're not vampires, they are godly. They love Jesus. Here comes Hazen right now. He's the director of the Night Watch. He's, yeah. He's as godly and normal as anyone else. He's in the kids' ministry. See, good. Amen. So anyway, that's what I want to do. I want to get us all on the same page. But also, there is a biblical imperative about the Night Watch that we've got to get our mind on. This chapter is in the Bible for a reason. It's the last psalm of ascents. It goes with the Psalm 132, 133, 134 package. And so we got to get understanding of it. Now, before we go through the psalm, because it's not very long, just a few verses, I want to I pull from other verses in the Bible that give us clarity on the uniqueness of the night, the uniqueness of seeking the Lord in the night, and what the Lord says about the night. There are so many verses. When you, when you just step back and you go, huh, night watch, huh, night. Let's see what the Bible says about the night. There is a volume. There's a volume of verses about the night, and the Lord uh, separates the night and says there's unique things about it. I just want to walk through a few. I've got about five, but there's more than that, but I've got five. Firstly, in the night, in the night, The Lord promises the spirit of revelation in the night. Now, I'll give you a few verses just to back that up. Uh, Well, I'll give you the first one. Psalm 119. I I love this one. I'll just read these to you. They'll come up on your screen. So you didn't know why you were having a hard time sleeping sometimes. But the psalmist makes it clear. He says, my eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Next time you're stuck, can't sleep, open the Bible. It'll either put you to sleep or the Lord will encounter you. And you have a promise from Scripture that the reason why your eyes are awake, you thought you were worried about that bill or that situation or whatever, or you ate some bad, whatever, jalapenos, but... The scripture is clear. The Lord wakes us up. He goes, he goes, my eyes are awake in the night because the Lord is calling me to meditate on the scriptures. And so there's a promise to promise uh, there to it. Psalm 16, verse 7 says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. And he says, in that counsel, my heart begins to instruct me in the night seasons. In the night seasons, the, the Lord will begin to instruct you from the very things He's put in your heart through the Word and through the, through the Spirit. And I, I've, got to, I've got to say that there's been many times for me where it just, you know, it, it's that, that thing where I'm not asleep, but I'm, I'm in my bed or whatever, or I, you know, I can't sleep, so I go downstairs to pray. And uh, the Lord will just begin to put things together for me, just to begin to instruct my heart in the night. And you have a promise that, he will instruct you in the night. Well, Psalm 63, verse 6, again, he says, When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. In the night watches, that spirit of revelation, meditation in the scripture, these things go together, and he highlights this multiple times. 
And look at Psalm 19, verse 2. Day unto day utters speech, but night unto night reveals knowledge. Reveals knowledge. Some of you, you're hitting a wall in your prayer life. The answer is the night watch. Hallelujah. Felt that one. So the spirit of revelation is a promise for the night watch. Well, secondly, there is a justice reality uh, that's released through the night watches. In fact, there is a, uh, an encouragement from the, from the Scripture to cry out for justice issues. So it's when the injustices are taking place, the Lord has a counter to the injustices in the earth, and He says, I want you to cry out for justice to, fly, to, to flow down. Lamentation 2.19, he says, Arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the watches, pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift your hands toward him for the life of your young children who faint from hunger at the head of every street. He's talking about uh, the, the situation in, in Jerusalem when they were experiencing massive poverty. They were under siege by Babylon. And Jeremiah is getting the word from the Lord that the answer, the answer to overcome this issue is crying out through the night, crying out in the night watches. You can just write down Joel, I believe it's uh, chapter 1, verse 13. Same exact story in Joel 1, 13. He says, the priests need to stay awake at night and cry out through the night watches. It has to do with being, uh, being in that place of intercession for justice. And, and, and crying out to God for mercy in the middle of the night. So the first one is revelation. The second one is justice. Thirdly, uniqueness of the night is what we're talking about. The third one is we only get night in this age. There's at least three scriptures that tell us that in the next age there will be no more night. There will be no more night. It's Revelation 21, 25, Isaiah 60, 20. In Revelation 22.5, they all basically say the same thing. <clears throat> they talk about the, the reality of the new Jerusalem and the millennial earth and, and the interplay between the two. And I'll just read Revelation 22.5. It says it this way. There shall be no night there. Now, when you're looking at this, and I'll just, this is just, I'm giving an advanced thought for a moment. When you're looking at this, this is talking about the interplay between the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the earthly Jerusalem. The two realities will meet in the age to come, and the earthly will mirror the heavenly. And so it's, on earth as it is in heaven begins to be the norm in the age to come, in the millennium. And so he's describing the next age, and he's saying this, there will be no more night there talking about the earthly reality. The earthly reality. Well, there's no more night in the, in the heavenly, but there was never night in the heavenly. So no more night tells us it's the earthly. Do you see it? There shall be no night there. The, they need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And, and they shall reign forever and ever. That's a reign with the Lord. So here's the thing about a call to the night watch. You only have the opportunity to do it in this age. Because in the next age, Jesus' face lights the earth. And there is no more night. Hallelujah. What better way to spend your days than to offer yourself and offer your strength to the Lord in a, in a very narrow window of opportunity that's only available in this age. To offer him your strength in the night seasons. Okay, fourthly, now this is by implication. It's not, not explicit, but fourthly, there is an, an implication of deliverance that's released in the night. And uh, there's many verses I could use for this, but I, I chose Acts 16. And you know the story. It's when Paul and Silas are in jail, and they're singing... And it's at midnight, the power of God is released, the angelic activity is released, and the doors, not just their door, but everybody's door in the prison goes open. 
It's not just for the individuals who are praying. It's actually for all who are in bondage. And so there's this implication of deliverance that is released through intercession and worship in the night. And uh, there's, you know, there's the, the figurative idea that you can overlay on this. You know, a night season being a season of challenge, a season of, of difficulty, a, a, a night season being that time in your life when you're going through it. And it's, the idea is to worship and pray and be grateful and thankful through the night season and allow the Lord to bring deliverance. Okay, then fifthly, there seems to be something about understanding the end of the age. The understanding of the end of the age that is uh, implied through seeking the Lord in the night. And I'll give you this. uh, It will be nighttime when Jesus returns. Somewhere on the earth. You can write that down. But what we do have is Matthew 25, where he's giving the parable about the bridegroom returning. And here's the thing. It's at midnight that they hear the cry about the bridegroom coming. The implication is this, that in the night watches, the ear is open, the revelatory ear is open, and that understanding of the bridegroom's return is released. And so uh, I would encourage those of you that are interested in understanding the end of the age, that perhaps the revelatory promises that are attached to the night watch also apply, and I think they do, but even more than that, I think there's a little bit in Scripture that gives us some understanding of that in an implication way, that seeking the Lord in the night could open the ear to understand details about the coming of the bridegroom. Okay, amen. All right, so the night watches. So throughout Scripture, the night watches are mentioned multiple times. Now here's how it worked uh, with the Jews. The ancient Jews had the night watch um, broken down into three parts, four-hour shifts that started at 6 p.m. and went to 6 a.m. So three four-hour shifts from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. So in our schedule, we have the morning, the afternoon. We, we call it the evening, and then we call it the night. Now, for our purposes, we're talking, when we're talking about the night watch, we're talking about the time from 12 a.m. to 6 a.m., But uh, biblically, when they're talking about the night watches, they're talking about the time from uh, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And so the ancient Jews had that broken down into uh, three sections of four hours. And then later they ended up with four sections of three hours. And you'll see it like in Matthew 14, 25, I give an example. Uh, There is an example of the fourth watch of the night being mentioned. And that would be the very last one that would, you know, see the beginnings of the sunrise. And so uh, that's how the night watch worked. Now, again, for our purposes, when we're saying night watch, we're talking about 12 to to, uh, 6 a.m. But all you evening watchers, we will go ahead and count you. Amen. For the purposes of our teaching. So you get in. Way to go. All right. Let's look at the chapter. Psalm 134. Let's just read the whole thing. Psalm 134, verse 1. Behold, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Lord... Who made heaven and earth bless you from Zion. The Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Zion. So at a glimpse, these three verses seem pretty simple. Seems like, you know, kind of just standard biblical, you know, exhortation and praise language. But I would offer that there's more to it than meets the eye. And I would offer that uh, this psalm is... um, Well, it's critical on a few levels. It's critical because it wraps up the 132 through 133, 134 package. 
but it's also the final psalm of ascents, and it gives us this uh, feature of the blessing of the Lord, the invoking of God's blessing. Now, I want to encourage you, I really want to encourage you, when you see uh, scriptures that describe uh, what brings the blessing of the Lord, pay attention to it. Pay attention to it. Because certain things the scripture identifies uh, cause God to release his blessing. And, and I, I was just reading, just a cursory reading through different verses today. What causes the blessing to come? Well, I mean, obviously, Matthew 5, we have the Sermon on the Mount. And he describes eight statuses of the heart and the, and the Beatitudes, uh, the, the value system of the kingdom. And when you're carrying that value system, there's an invoked blessing on your life. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. When you see a verse that says the Lord will bless or you are blessed when, or if you act this way, God blesses you, pay attention to that. You want to live in that. You want that to be your, your, your main and plain, to, to you know, live your life under the shower of the blessing of the Lord. <clears throat> and it's not always the thing that just makes you the happiest. I was reading, uh, I believe it's Psalm 60. I, I, just don't quote me on that, but I believe it's Psalm 60. He says, uh, Psalmist says, you made the enemy run over our heads. And then you blessed us. <laughs> you know, there's times when it's through the fire that the blessing comes. And we can't delete those. A lot of people that want to talk about blessings, they only talk about the stuff that just seems like light and frothy. But there is a... There is a pathway of challenges many times unto the blessing of the Lord. Okay, so when there's, this, when there's this emphasis on blessing, underline it, pay attention to it in the Scripture. Now, what's going on here? What's this psalm, what's the context about? What, how does this even work? What you have here is this. The psalm is likely written by those that were in the day watch, and they were declaring and exhorting to the night watch to encourage the night watchers to stand and to encourage the night watchers to abandon themselves unto God and to encourage the night watchers that if they'll see to it, if they'll keep the, the vow of, uh, of seeing to it that the Lord would have a place of, of dwelling and a resting place, that the Lord will release a blessing. And so it's the day watch turning to the night watch and saying, come on, guys, hang in there, bless the Lord, lift your hands, stand before him, and the Lord will bless you. He will bless all of us, in fact. That's the, that's the thrust of this psalm. The essentiality, that's the essential part that the night watch plays in all of us experiencing the blessing of God. When we get our mind around that, then it will go into our heart to encourage and strengthen the night watch at all costs. And so this is an encouragement to all of us who uh, are on a day schedule to stand and to bless the night watch. To say, man, you guys go for it. Be encouraged. Take your watch and see to it that, that you stand and you abandon your heart to the Lord. There's a blessing coming if you will see to it that you're, you're part of the wall of, of worship and prayer is, is manned. And so he's stirring them up to be vigilant and to be watchful. And it's, it's this exhortation to stay focused. And so uh, this psalm is, is uh, strategically placed... Uh, for, for three reasons, and, and I, I'm just going to break them down for you. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. Did I give you that in the notes? Is that going to come up here? Perfect, yes. Give us verse 1. So verse 1, it's a mandate to the Night Watch community. There's a mandate in here. I'm going to break that down in just a minute. Secondly, there's an exhortation into abandonment for the Night Watch. Thirdly, there is a divine response to the fulfilling of the vow. A divine response that comes to the, at the fulfilling of the vow. Let me just give you this side note. So Psalm 132, of course, we went over that for two weeks. He said, Lord, remember David. Remember all of his afflictions. 
and the vow that my father made. It's Solomon speaking this, this psalm in Psalm 132. Because remember David, remember all of his afflictions. Remember the vow that he made, that he wouldn't rest or give sleep to his eyelids until he found a dwelling place for God. He says, remember him. And then he says, and don't forget the mercy you promised him. And it's Solomon praying that vow at the dedication of the temple. And after Solomon prays that and prays that psalm, fire falls on it. It's going to take a little side journey just for a moment. But I want you to see this. Look at uh, Psalm 65. If you guys can pull up Psalm 65, 1. This has just been rolling over in my heart all week. It's been touching me. Psalm 65 is a psalm of David. It's evidently written after David has established the tabernacle of David because it's a psalm to the chief musician. The chief musician would have been in the tabernacle of David. Side note, whenever you see that, to the chief musician, uh, if it's a psalm of David, it means the tabernacle of David is there functioning, which is live worship and prayer, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. David would write the psalm and have a runner or actually hand it himself to Asaph. Asaph was the chief musician. Some of your uh, Bibles will call him the choir leader. It's not exactly, you know, he's not the guy in the robe. Like, you know, he's not that guy. Chief musician in the, in the house of prayer, in the, in the tabernacle. Of it. Well, David would write the psalm and he would run it and have it run to Asaph. And then Asaph would you know, do a briefing with the team that was going to come up next because they would, they would rotate on an hour. Every hour they would have a new team by families. They were all families. And so the, the, the team would then have a briefing and they'd say, do, he'd go do this psalm. And they would sing the psalm David just, just wrote. So these are actual songs that were written and sung in the context of the house of prayer. It's powerful. Most people don't understand that. Most worship leaders don't get that. They want to write songs, and they don't recognize that most of the psalms that David wrote were written in the context of the house of prayer. So if you're a songwriter, I'll encourage you, get in the house of prayer, get in that realm of divine creativity, get in the Word, get in the Spirit, ask for revelation, and start getting the heavenly melodies that flow from your soul, the heavenly language that flows from the Scripture. Those prophetic words come together, and you'll write psalms like David did. Amen. So here we go. Psalm 65.1. I love it. It's just been touching me all week. Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion. David says, See, Lord, See, the, the tabernacle, is, it's functioning. Worship is going on. Praise is here for you. Praise is always here for you, Lord. It's awaiting you. Every day, praise is here for you, Lord. And I've thought that through, and I thought, you know, 33 and a half years in the tabernacle of David, there wasn't one sunrise, there wasn't one sunset, there wasn't one noonday, there wasn't one mid-hour of the night watch where praise wasn't waiting for God. And I look at our little community, our little house, and somehow by the grace of God for eight years now, praise has continued to be here waiting for him. Praise is waiting for you, Lord. And then David says this next phrase. This is the one. This is David's diligence to see to it. To you, the vow shall be performed. What's he talking about? He's talking about his Psalm 132 vow. I am going to see this thing through until you have a resting place. Because we got night and day prayer in this, in this tent right now, but my son is going to build you a temple. When that happens, Lord, come, arise to your resting place. He goes, the vow shall be performed to you. I made a vow as a young man. This is what David's saying. I made a vow as a young man, and I will see to it that it will be performed. Look at verse 2. He goes, you... Who hear prayer, all flesh will come to you. He ties the conversion of the nations to the, the, the reality of night and day worship of prayer and God coming down and, and having a resting place. All flesh will, will, will be drawn to you, you who hear prayer. Verse 3, he goes, I'm drowning in my iniquities. Transgressions and iniquities prevail against me, but you will provide atonement. There will be forgiveness. You are the one who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Look at verse 4. I'm just preaching this. I'm just giving you another message right in the middle. Here we go. Verse 4. Blessed is the man you choose. 
Blessed is the man you choose. See, there it is again. The Lord declares the blessing over him. Who what? Who you cause to approach you. That he may dwell in your courts. He said, we will be satisfied with the goodness of your house. When the vow is performed, when this is finalized, we will be satisfied with the goodness of your holy temple. Your presence, your manifest presence in that place will satisfy your people. All flesh will be drawn to you. And look at verse 5. How are you going to do it? By awesome deeds and righteousness. Man, hallelujah, guys. When I look at that, I go, oh. See, this touches me because I say, Lord, I'm not David, and I didn't make a vow like he did, but I'm, I feel I'm under that same spirit that David had to, to see a resting place for God established in this city. And I believe, Lord, that you will draw all nations unto you. And I believe that you will provide atonement for iniquity and transgression in this city. And, Lord, I believe that it's a blessing that we have this place here and you've caused us to draw near to you. And, Lord, I believe you're going to answer by awesome deeds. Awesome deeds. That's my new favorite answered prayer verse. How does God answer prayer? By awesome deeds and righteousness, you will answer us, O God of our salvation. And he gives this last little phrase. You who are the confidence of all the earth. You who the whole earth will trust in. So good. So there's David. He's he's saying this. The vow will be performed to you. And there will be this overflowing blessing that will come. When this is finalized, there will be all flesh drawn to you. Well, that's what he's talking about. This divine response. This divine response of fulfilling the vow, of seeing to it that the, the night watch keeps the circle of worship and prayer in place. That that thing is continued until there's a dwelling place for God. Because there is a divine response that will come. A blessing from the Lord that will come. Alright, let me just work through then three, the three key phrases that talk about the night watch. Now, are you guys with me still? Alright, just want to make sure. First one. The first key phrase. Behold, bless the Lord. Behold, bless the Lord. Behold, bless the Lord. This is, this is the key mandate to those who will stand by night in the Lord. Stand by night in the house of prayer. Stand by night in the night watches to seek the Lord. The key mandate is behold and bless the Lord. The point is this. The portion for the night watcher. The portion for the night watcher is... To come before the Lord and behold the beauty of the Lord. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord. To feast on the divine entertainment of the glory and the majesty of God. Have you ever noticed on one of those nights where you either stayed up real late or you woke up in the middle of the night. And everything's just quiet. And there's just stillness. And you're there before the Lord. You ever had that thing where you just, it's just, everything is still. And you turn your heart to God and you just, the awe and the wonder and the awesomeness of God become so evident. Just in that still place. I don't know if you've ever done this. I've done this. You ever gone outside on a clear night and you just look up into the the stars and the sky. And see, for me, if I stare too long, I'll just freak myself out a little bit. Because you just start staring out there, and I'm going, okay, those stars, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of million miles away, what I'm looking at is not even where they are. That's just where they were when the light beam got here. And you did all that in an instant. You stretched out the heavens like a curtain. And that that I'm looking at is so far out there, so far beyond. I mean, you know, zero is like 20, 50 zeros out there. That's how far out there that is. Times light years. I'm going, okay, I'm looking. and That's way out there. And that's nothing to you. You made it like a curtain. In the middle of the night. See that, that Psalm 19 verse 2, it says, Night and night utters knowledge. 
It's actually talking about how the heavens are arrayed and they utter knowledge to us. By staring into the sky and noticing the vast grandeur of our God. There's something about the night watches where we stand before the Lord and we behold the majesty of our God. And there is a touch of revelation on that point. And that's the portion for the night watcher. To come before the Lord and to behold Him and to bless Him from that place. To behold His majesty and to let the heart get filled with wonder, get filled with awe, and then just overflow back. You are awesome. You are glorious. You are majestic. You are beyond anything I've ever imagined. You who are full of grandeur and worth. It's allowing your heart to get struck with the beauty of the Lord. The call to the night watcher is the call to be fascinated with beauty. That's the call to the night watcher. It's the premier uh, call to the night watcher. Because the, the opposite of that is what's going on in the world. The night watcher is called to divine beauty, but the one that's out there in, in the world that's in sin is being, uh, is being trapped and ensnared by false beauty and lusts. And so the opposite spirit is, what's, is what the Lord calls the night watcher to, to, to be you know, uh, totally whelmed, totally uh, uh, marveled with the divine entertainment of the holy. Staring at the glory and the beauty of the Lord. So that's the first thought to the night watcher. It's, it's, it's that your portion, your sustenance is the beauty of God. To feast on beauty. And then from that well of encounter, that well of going... I've never seen another like you. I've never seen another like you. From that place, oh, you, you overflow back, just like the living creatures around the throne, who day and night, they never cease. And what's happening to them? They're staring, they're gazing, they're beholding, and what's happening? They're overflowing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That's the call to the night watchers, to be a burning one in the night. So that behold and bless the Lord. Then he says this. He says, behold, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. Verse 2, he says, lift up your hands. Lift up your hands. The lifting of the hands, is a, it's a, an act of surrender and devotion and extravagance. The call to the night watch is a call to extravagant surrender, abandonment, and devotion. That's what this thing is about. We have this community that's, that's partaken in the night watches, and what they have stepped into is something that has reordered and reorganized the entirety of their lives around the worth of Jesus. The call to the night is a call to radical abandonment, to the lifting of the hand, the abandonment of the heart. Have all of me, have all of me, Jesus. And I just love it because those that give themselves in the night watch, I mean, they, they hedge themselves in automatically. They're sleeping during the day. They're awake during the night. Well, guess what? If you're awake at night, your options are limited. So much shuts down at night. You just don't have the options that everybody else does. And you hedge yourself in to an abandoned lifestyle to burn before the Lord in worship and adoration and abandonment. It's giving the best of your strength. It's, it's wholly engaging your heart. It's, it's offering the, the, the weightiness of your soul. It's giving yourself away to abandonment to God. Lift your hands. You stand by night. Lift your hands. Now here's one thing I want us to recognize is that the devotion that takes place in this manner for the night watcher, it's a costly devotion. It requires the hours to be flipped. It requires the strength. Physically, it's costly. It's, it can be costly emotionally. It can be costly socially. It's costly in time. I mean, all the little dynamics... Are, are, they really do require an abandonment of soul. I, I watch our night watchers. I pay attention to them. And, uh, you know, from time to time, and if, if you and I have had this conversation, if you're a night watcher, I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying this is how it works. But I've had this conversation with many night watchers. Well, after a while, they'll come to me and they'll go, everything's just bad. 
I go, everything's bad. It's all bad. I go, tell me about that. It's bad, 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 and really B-A-D bad. I go, wow, that's intense. They go, what do I need to do? Everything's bad. I go, what I think you should do is go home and take a nap. Let's you and me decide this, that you need a nap. And I want you to sleep a little bit. And then after you get some sleep, I want to talk about how B.A.D. this is. So let's get you off the night watch and get you on a little daytime. Let's get a little vitamin D going. Drink some milk and do what you do. Get in the sun. And let's talk in a few weeks. And every time, every time. They come back to me a month later. I go, how bad are things? I go, it's awesome. The sun is awesome. Sleep is awesome. Life is awesome. I go, really? Awesome? Awesome. And then it's, it's you know, because we're like this, we're just, we're just a little hyper, hyper spiritual. Man, God, you know, I just, I started sleeping during the day and God just broke in and it was just a move of God and the revival came on my life and I'm in a personal, I go, you got sleep. This is what it feels like when you sleep normal. They go, really? I go, yeah. I mean, it's God. Thank God for good sleep. He made your body to feel better when you get good sleep. But don't hyper-spiritualize this. And so what, I've t- what I'm identifying is how costly it is for people emotionally, physically at times. There's entire studies they've done on third and fourth shift workers who sleep during the day and stay awake at night and how they go through these different, you know, uh, challenges emotionally and physically and and uh, our night watchers are no different. There is, a, there is an abandonment and a cost to it. So we pay attention to it. Our night watchers, when they, when they start feeling like the, the burden of this in a negative way, we go, man, you got to get some sleep. We shift their schedules and they work through it. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll get their heart right and then they'll pay a little bit more attention to going to bed on time. You ever notice when you see light, it's hard to go to bed? Our little night watchers, you know, they get off at 6. And, you know, depending on the time of year, you know, sometimes the sun is up. I mean, they've got to like run home and try to get in their room and go to sleep without the circadian rhythm starting to kick in. It's just a challenge. But you know what? It's worth it. Because Jesus is worth it. He's worth love. All day, every day, even through the night hours. And so, they stand at night. There's all these interesting challenges. It's an abandoned life. And then, as I've mentioned before, the unfruitful deeds of darkness are taking place mostly in the hours that they are standing and and, uh, praying and worshiping. So the amount of spiritual traffic at times can be very, very intense because they are standing in opposition to the time when much of the sin and demonic activity is taking place in the earth. So, here's the thing. God desires for there to be a people, a, a, a radically abandoned people raised up that would live in this manner. How can I say that? Because it's all in the word. The concept of night and day prayer doesn't take place without the night watch. You have to have the night watch. And so all the, the theology behind night and day prayer, which the, the, the word is rife with, I mean, full of theology about night and day prayer, it all takes into account that there must be a people living in radical abandonment, seeking the Lord, beholding the beauty of the Lord, and living at night to worship and praise Him in those night watches. So God wants and longs for a people who would adore Him and abandon their hearts to Him in the night so He'll come and release the spirit of revelation he wants that company who will, who will stand with him and tarry with him in the, in the night hours. So he says, behold, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Behold him. Let that, that revelation of the majesty of God fill your senses and overflow from your soul. Let that be your portion. Then he goes, he goes lift your hands to the Lord and, and abandon your soul to God, no matter the cost. And then he says, And it's the idea is this, as you complete the vow, the Lord bless you from Zion. The Lord bless you from Zion. 
And when we see in the Bible the invoked blessing of the Lord, it is always a, a critical reality. It's never just be, oh, bless God, God bless them. It's never just this sweet little God bless you that we offer. There is the authority, the anointing. It's heaven stuff being released. The Lord bless you. And here's what it boils down to. That Psalm 132 vow, it's not finalized unless you have those people. Those night watchers who will stand by night and fulfill the vow. To you, the vow shall be performed. They'll stand by night and fulfill the vow. And then the Lord's answer on all of it is, I will release my blessing. I will release the blessing of the Lord upon that people. And so I sit there and I look at our night watch. I say, Lord, we need the night watch. We must have the night watch. We don't have 24-7 prayer, but we don't, even, we don't even touch those promises about the blessing that you're going to release through the, that fulfilling of that place of, of rest for you through night and day prayer. And so there's this, there's this uh, sense of, man, we have got to have the night watchers take their place on the wall. Now, here's the, here's the, the real reality. Let me tell you this. How do we have? Four? We have four Staff in the night. One of them's part time. Am I right? What is it? Five, four and a half. We have less than a handful. They're they're right now keeping uh, the night the night watch from six a.m. to twelve. I mean, uh, it's twelve a.m. to six. Twelve a.m. to six. Seven days a week, six hours a night. We have four and a half folks that are committed to it. And I go, Lord, that's not a guilt trip. This is reality. I'm, I'm shooting for the guy listening to the podcast right now. Move to Atlanta in the name of Jesus. And I'm shooting for you who are sitting there and you're going, you know, I've been feeling a stirring. I don't know. Something night watch. I wake up every night, 2 a.m. to 4, and the Lord's touching me. Uh, who knows? Maybe you are the night owl, but you got to get a little more disciplined so you can be helpful in the night watch. But there's this thing that, that we have to have the value for the night watchers. We have to recognize the value that, it, that, it, that, it, uh, that it, it, the night watch plays in the, the fulfilling of the vow to do night and day prayer and to see the blessing of the Lord released. And then there's this reciprocal action from the Lord that as the night watchers behold and bless the Lord, the Lord turns and blesses them. And I love that old, uh, it's not that old, but it's Tommy Tenney wrote that book, God Chasers. And he, in that book, he told the story about pursuing the Lord. And he said, you know, it's like when he plays chase with his, with his, his son or daughter, I can't remember, his child. And he said, you know, there's one thing uh, when the kid is playing chase and they, the kid wants to chase me. And he said, I'll just run around and they're trying to chase me down and I'm staying away or playing hide and go seek and I'm running away from them. He said, but there is an, a whole other thing that happens when I turn around and instead of my child chasing me, I am chasing them. And see, that's that reciprocal action of the Lord turning the chase. He goes, come and bless me. Come and bless me. Behold, bless me. Behold and bless me. Behold me and worship. Behold me and seek me. And then there's a day coming when the blessing turns. And God says, no, you're not chasing me. I'm chasing you. Beloved, I want to be that place. I want to be that people. We're not just constantly, God, we're seeking you. God goes, no, no, I am seeking you. And when the Lord turns it, that's when all the activity of heaven begins to manifest. And, and that's that whole thing that David was after. He goes, I want to see the vow fulfilled. I want to see a resting place for God. I want to see the blessing come. Man, when the night watchers, when they stand beholding, blessing, lifting their hands, lifting their hearts, blessing the Lord, the Lord returns the blessing. And that's it. That's the realization of the promised blessing. And here's the thing. The night watchers, though they're so few and out of, out of, uh, they're out of the picture. They're, they're out of sight, out of mind so often. 
And they're the ones that are carrying that final leg, that final lap of the vow. They start every day for us in the house of prayer. Think that through. 12.01. At 12.01, the night watchers are taking their place. They start every day for us. And they finish the night watch every day, carrying that, that desire to see the Lord's name great, the Lord's name worshipped, the worth of the Lord extolled and, and magnified. And so, just to recap it, that Psalm 132 vow, the Psalm 133 unity, and the package is completed with the Psalm 134 abandonment and the night watch, and the whole thing is wrapped up with that reciprocal blessing from the Lord. And I don't think this is just this uh, ethereal thing, some sort of theoretical idea. Think it through for a minute. Think it through. How, I mean, there's just a point in my mind, I go, how much prayer until God says, I can't help but answer this with power. I mean, we see awesome things happen. We see beautiful things happen regularly. I mean, we see testimonies all the time. But I'm looking for something that impacts not just this room. I'm looking for something that impacts this region and the nation. And I believe that this key of, of night and day prayer and that fulfillment of the vow through the night watchers, man, there's a promised blessing the Lord wants to release. So my heart is this, that we would at the very least understand the biblical perspective on the night. Secondly, value the night watchers and, 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 and really encourage and exhort them. And then those of you that are called to the night watch, I mean, maybe it's not this moment, but you sense that the Lord would have you to seek Him and serve Him in the night. I want to I uh, call you forward. I, what I mean is, and maybe we'll pray for you, but I mean, I want to call you into that reality. That you would take that season of your life, you know, that the Lord is uh, identifying for you, that you would spend that season serving the Lord in, in night and day prayer, but in the night watches, in, in those those uh, midnight hours seeking Him and, and, and experiencing the beauty and the revelation of that hour unto the Lord releasing blessing upon you. I want to call that group forward and say, look, the Lord's calling you to the night watch. Step into that. Step into what the Lord's calling you to do.